May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Que la gracia y paz del Señor Jesucristo sea con cada uno de ustedes. Our sermon text for this evening will come from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. We continue in our series on the Gospel of Luke, and I want to invite you, if you are willing and able, to stand for the reading of God's holy word in the Gospel of Luke. The Word of God says, And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these th- as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching and the hearing of his word. And all the church says, you may be seated. They say that it is Murphy's Law of Gospel Ministry that if you were born and raised in the city, then God will call you to gospel ministry in the country. And that was certainly my case many years ago. The first two congregations I served were both in small farming communities. And for several years, I experienced one Culture shock after another as I, a city boy, tried to adjust to life in the country. I learned a lot of things from those farmers in those days. I learned that old men with calloused hands know how to take advantage of city boys with soft hands. I know how older men could pull on your heartstrings and ask you to come and ride with me in the morning, early in the morning. It's so cold and I get lonely out driving around 
What they really needed was someone to open the gates for them and make sure the cattle didn't get out so they didn't have to get in and out of the truck on those cold days. It took me a while, but I realized these guys never invite me out when the weather's nice. They always invite me out when it's cold and wet. So I spent some time moving my fair share of irrigation pipe and hauling hay and pulling fence and all those crazy things people do in the country. But spending time around those farmers and those ranchers taught me a thing or two about what Jesus says in the scriptures about sowers and seed and fields. And so can make a connection personally for those kinds of things. The reason I did those things in those days is because I was trying to become all things to all men. And I was trying to get field cred in the, in the suburbia or in the urban center. You try to get street cred, but I was trying to get field cred. I wanted those guys to know that I understood where they were coming from. Well, Jesus talks here about a sower and seed and soils. And those of us who have always lived in suburbia or in an urban center might not connect very well with what Jesus said. So I'm going to try to help us understand where he's coming from in case you have any doubts. But the image seems to be clear. A man is walking around with a bag of seed and he's throwing the seed across a field And the seed falls in various places. There's no partiality or favoritism. He's scattering seed. And what does he hope for at the end of the day? He hopes that there will be a crop, that there will be fruit that he can harvest. That's the only reason a sower goes forth sowing his seed. This is what Jesus has been doing in his ministry, preaching the gospel in the synagogue, in the city, at the lakeshore, in the city streets, in the marketplace, in the countryside, everywhere he goes, scattering the seed of the kingdom of God. He speaks to his disciples here and says something very interesting to us. We think that I say we I'm assuming that you're a part of the vast community of the Christian church, but you'll find that many people in the Christian community believe that parables were told by Jesus so that Jesus could make the truth clearer and easier to understand. And yet Jesus tells us that it's the exact opposite, that that's not why he told parables. He wasn't trying to make things clearer. He was trying to make things more obscure. And he wasn't trying to reveal truth and make it open. He was actually trying to hide truth inside these stories so that those who were interested in the kingdom, those who were really desirous of the things of God, would dig and search for those things and find them out. Jesus appeals to The story we just heard from Isaiah 6 in the scripture reading before the sermon where God sent Isaiah the prophet on mission to preach to the people in such a way that he would blind their eyes and cover their ears and harden their hearts. In other words, to preach in such a way that very few of them would even turn to God and be healed. Only a remnant would be left in the land. When Jesus echoes that, he is simply saying that his ministry is an extension of Isaiah's ministry, that he's completing what Isaiah started. I'm telling these parables to you. I'm telling these parables to you so that seeing people may not see, so that hearing they may not understand. It had to be shocking to the disciples because they had just said to Jesus, what does this parable mean? They saw but didn't see. They heard but didn't grasp. And Jesus graciously explains to them, you guys have been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you what this parable means anyway. 
One of the challenging things about preaching the parable of the sower is that everyone knows the parable. All of you know the parable and everyone knows the interpretation of the parable because Jesus told us what it meant. And so if you're a thinking Christian, you might be looking at me right now saying, well, then what are you doing up there? Right. We just we heard the parable. Jesus told it what it meant. Shouldn't that be the end of the sermon? And it should be. But when you only work one day a week, you really want to get your reps in. Right. And so I want to focus on the application part of the parable. And instead of spending time going through each and every heart in the parable, here's the hard heart, here's the shallow heart, here's the crowded heart, here's the faithful heart. I want to draw your attention simply to the crowded heart. I want to draw your attention to the crowded heart, and I'll tell you why. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that since you left your homes this afternoon, with the intense blazing heat of Texas all around you, and you made your way to this building at five o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday, that you probably don't have a hard heart the way Jesus described this hard heart. So you can check that off your box. I don't have a hard heart. Good. And I'm going to go even farther and say you probably don't even have a shallow heart. I've known you long enough to know that You've grown. There's more to you than what you see in that shallow heart. Some of you, you can see that the word of God is taking root in your life. And we see some growth there. And there's potential for maybe fruit at some point. Okay. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say that all of you, and I'll include myself in this, all of us look very much like the crowded heart. This is where we are. This is what it's like to be a Christian In the United States of America, this is what it's like to be a Christian in North Texas. It's so easy to be a people with crowded hearts. Jesus said of the crowded heart, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. That's us. But as they go on their way, that's us going on our way. They are choked by the cares of this life, the riches of this life, the pleasures of this life. And their fruit does not mature. Does that describe any of you? Do you feel that struggle in your own life? You see, unlike the person with the hard heart, this person with the crowded heart has a softer heart, soft enough to receive the word of God. Unlike the person with the shallow heart, this person with the crowded heart has deeper soil. It receives more Moisture, the word of God sinks in and takes root. In fact, it's there long enough that it can endure and start producing a plant. The person with a crowded heart, by the way, is not an irreligious, non church going person. The person with a crowded heart is a person just like us. A person who's been baptized, a person who attends church, a person who leads a moral life. That's a person with a crowded heart. They attend a Christian church. They read Christian books. They listen to Christian music. They watch Christian movies. They study at Christian colleges. They go to Christian conferences. They do all of those things. Everything on the outside of the person with a crowded heart says that person is a follower of Jesus. In other words, they have a great image, a great presentation. 
The stalk looks strong. The leaves are spreading out. The plant looks healthy. It all looks good, doesn't it? But it's what's happening on the inside that matters. And that's the part about each other that we don't always see. We can't know. But we know it about ourselves, don't we? I can't know how crowded your heart may or may not be. And I would be ashamed to tell you how crowded mine is. So all week I've been thinking about all these different hearts. And I think, oh, my heart is so crowded. I have so many worries and pressures and fears and anxieties and things in my heart. Trying to push Jesus aside. Jesus, move over. Give my heart some more room. I've got to have more space to store all of this anxiety and and fear and worry. Can you get out of the way a little bit? I'm trying to make room in my heart for these things that are important. The cares of this life. The worries, the anxieties of this life. Bearing down on us. Trying to flood our hearts. The pleasures of this life, the riches of this life, all of these things summed up so well by men like Tim Keller and others who talk about these counterfeit gods that try to grow up in our hearts. Money, sex and power constantly jockeying for position inside of our hearts. So we might look alive on the surface, but Some people are actually dying on the inside. They're dying on the inside. Why? Because these things, security and control, are choking us. Sucking the life out of us. Squeezing us. Cutting off the supply of air. I'll give you an example of someone in Scripture who had a crowded heart. And we only know he had a crowded heart because of how his life ended. But... Everything leading up to that point would have made us think differently. Here is a man who walked with Jesus Christ. He was enlightened to the grace and truth of the gospel. He tasted the heavenly gift. He experienced something of the Holy Spirit. He tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the kingdom. He was exposed to and even enjoyed many of the benefits that came along with knowing Jesus Christ in a personal way. And so from a human point of view, had we known this man and walked with this man and spent time with this man, we would have said this man is a true follower of Jesus. Nevertheless, this man, whom we know as Judas Iscariot, Proved to be a fruitless plant. Now, I'm not suggesting that any of you are Judas Iscariots. I'm simply pointing out that when Jesus talks about the person with a crowded heart, that this is not an empty warning, an idle threat. This is a reality for many people. Judas' life, the gospel at work in his life was choked out. By the cares of this life, by the cares of riches, by the pleasures of life. You see that? Judas traded Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And it would be so easy to sit here in judgment on Judas and say, he traded Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. What a cheapskate. I never would do that. But it is likely that you've traded Jesus for much less than that on more than one occasion. A Google search. 
time spent poorly on Instagram, time spent poorly in entertainments. You've traded Jesus for less than 30 pieces of silver. And so have I. And it's not to defend or excuse Judas at all, but it's simply to say, let's not be so high and mighty when we think of all the ways that we've traded Jesus. The ways we've allowed the cares of this life, the riches of this life, the pleasures of this life to choke and suffocate the gospel that is at work in our hearts. It's possible that a few of us have hard hearts. I said that perhaps none of you did. It's possible that some of you do. I don't see it, but I'm not the Lord. It's possible that some have shallow hearts. And again, that's not my view of things, but it is my view of things that many of us have crowded hearts. We've grown in the gospel. We are plants with stalks and leaves and roots. The question is, where is the fruit? That's what we want to see. Maybe the fruit is on its way and we haven't seen it yet. And in some of you, there is definitely fruit. But I don't want us to rest content, is what I'm saying. And I think that's part of the point of the parable here. The parable is not intended for us to say, well, some people have hard hearts and that's it. Some people have shallow hearts and that's it. And some people have crowded hearts and that's it. And there's no changing. I don't think it works like that. There are different points of my own life when I could say at this point in my life, my heart was hard towards the things of God. And that's why the scriptures say today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts because God knows that sometimes we slip into that mode. But we shouldn't think that just because we have produced a stalk and leaves in our life and we can see evidence of the gospel working in us and that we've advanced a little farther than the person with the hard heart that we can say, well, at least we're better than they are. We're not to compare ourselves with the other soils. We're not to compare what is what the gospel is doing in our life with the other soils. We are to examine ourselves And to see what the gospel is doing in us. And to see where we need to repent and believe the gospel. So some of us, if we have a crowded heart, some of us are in danger of choking the word of God in our crowded hearts. We're weighed down with the cares of the age. We're worried about health. We're worried about money and family and jobs and gadgets and cars and entertainments. We're worried about time, our future. We're worried about all of those things. We're anxious about politics, sports, and religion. These things press down upon us and crowd Jesus in our hearts. We're often seduced and deceived by the lure of riches and wealth and money. And yet we forget that the gospel warns us that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, fall into a snare, fall into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And why is that the case? Well, the word of God goes on to say, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. And it's through this craving, this lust for more money that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs or griefs. And if you think that you are the exception to the rule, then you're simply confessing just how crowded your heart really is. 
A cluttered heart like that can choke out the gospel in no time. So the gospel teaches us that godliness with contentment is a great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. If your heart is crowded and you're taking inventory of your heart and you see that your heart is crowded and Christ is being pushed to the side, the gospel is being choked out. That you desire something other than Christ or more than Christ or besides Christ. Well, praise God that you recognize there's a problem. And praise God that you feel the sting and the pain of sin in your life. Praise God that you know there must be more to life than pleasures and comforts. Because recognizing that is the first step towards life, isn't it? You see there's a problem and now you can cry out to God for help. This morning, as I was perusing Facebook, as I'm loath to do, one of our deacons, Brandon, posted a quote from John Calvin that was so illuminating. I wove it into this part of the sermon for you. I think it's worth hearing. John Calvin, our forefather in the faith, said, Each of us ought to endeavor to tear the thorns out of his heart if we do not choose that the word of God should be choked. For there is not one of us whose heart is not filled with a vast quantity of things, a thick forest of thorns. It's a realistic depiction of of our hearts, isn't it? Well, I said earlier that one of the difficulties of preaching Luke 8, preaching the parable of the sower, is that Jesus not only told the parable, but he also interpreted it for us. The struggle is to find the application. And that's just preacher talk. That's blowing smoke. The real reason it's hard to preach a text like this is because I run the risk of preaching as a hypocrite. My heart's as crowded as anyone else's, perhaps more so. And worse, because I know better. I know it shouldn't be. And yet there it is. So what do you do? How do you get out of this? How do you preach out of this mess? How do you pray out of this mess? We're told in Scripture that we, what we need to do is set apart the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord in our hearts. If we do not set apart Jesus Christ as Lord in our hearts, we will be ineffective and unfruitful in the gospel. So we must tear down our idols and trust in Christ alone. We must do as Calvin said, tear the thorns out of our hearts. And you know it's going to hurt. You're going to feel the pain. You're going to be cut. You're going to be losing things that you find pleasure in. You've got to tear them out of your hearts. They do not belong there. Only Christ belongs there. At the end of the day, Jesus makes it clear in this parable that there are actually only two kinds of soil. There is the unfruitful soil and there is the fruitful soil. So it doesn't matter if a person says, well, I'm, you know, I'm. At least I'm not hard-hearted. At least I'm not shallow-hearted. I'm, cra- I'm, a cr- I'm crowded-hearted. Where's the boast in that? If at the end of the day, you are still fruitless. Sowers, 
Farmers, planters put their seed in the ground because they want one thing. Not a beautiful field of stalks and leaves. They want fruit. They want a return on their labor. God says to the prophet Isaiah that his word never returns empty. It always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. And in some cases, the purpose of God is to send the word of God to a hard heart and the devil snatches it away. In some cases, the purpose of God involves the seed falling into shallow soil and a person joyfully embracing it and then quickly fading away under the pressure of life and a bit of temptation and trial. In some cases, the purpose of God is accomplished in the crowded heart as the plant begins to grow. But the real purpose of God is accomplished when people persevere, as Jesus said, of this of this crowded heart. They're choked out because they get stopped down by the things of life. But if you look at the next heart, the good soil, they are those who hearing the word of God, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience, with perseverance So I want to encourage you, if you believe that you are maybe a person with a crowded heart and you wonder, where is this going to go? Does that mean I'm dead? That's no more hope. No, what it means is you can repent and believe the gospel and persevere. Hold fast to the word of God. Don't let go of it. Persevere with patience. And God's spirit through you will bear fruit. I was speaking with a brother this morning who pointed out to me that in all the world, there is truly only one fertile heart in all of human history. There's only been one fruitful soil, and that was the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was absolutely right about that. None of us has that kind of heart in and of ourselves. But can a heart change is the question. Can a heart change? Can a crowded heart become a fertile heart? Can a crowded heart repent and change and become a fruitful heart? And the answer is yes. God has made promises to you through the Lord Jesus Christ where he promises that he will give you a new heart. He will give you a new spirit so that you will obey his word. And so if you're struggling with obedience and disobedience at this time and you find that in and of yourself there's no way for you to get rid of these thorns there's no way for you to get rid of these thistles what must you do well you must cry out to the Lord and seek the Lord while he may be found the Lord is the one who can make you fruitful and he does so by cleaning out your heart by pruning away those thorns and plucking away those briars to give room for the gospel to flourish In your life and to bear fruit. As I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon many years ago, as I interacted with various farmers, you would hear little sayings. I think they all had the same secret handbook and they would all give you the same proverbs and and they had this shared wisdom. And one of the things I heard them say in various places is it's not enough to love fruits and vegetables. You must also hate weeds and pests. Doctors know that as well. It's not enough to love health. You must also hate disease and the things that cause it. 
It's not enough to love stalks and leaves. Look at how I've grown. I'm, I'm better than the hard-hearted and shallow-hearted person. No. It's not enough to love stalks and leaves. One must also hate weeds and pests. And so cultivating a fertile and fruitful heart for you and for me is going to be a daily struggle, a lifelong endeavor, a battle that doesn't end until Christ comes at the harvest. And that's when it will end finally. And we'll be able to hand our first fruits over to the Lord for the grace that he has worked in us. And so if you find yourself with a crowded heart this evening, let me encourage you to cry out to the Lord, to repent, to pluck those things out with all your might, with all the help that God's spirit and word offer you. And know that your heart, little by little, is being changed by the Spirit and Word of God into the image of Jesus Christ. That is to say, your heart, even your hard, shallow, crowded heart, is being shaped and molded into the image of Jesus Christ. It's becoming more fertile and thus more fruitful.